Welcome to the public rally. In the gospel according to St. John, Pontius Pilate famously asked Jesus, what is truth? It is an age-old question that has bedeviled those who pose the inquiry as well as the recipients. Over the centuries, theologians and philosophers have grappled with Pilate's question, unable to offer a definitive answer, at least not one that has been universally accepted. Moreover, when the question is posed, are we talking about truth in the abstract, moral truth versus moral relativism, honesty and truth, or something completely different? Whatever truth is, it is central to reality, science, culture, faith, but it seems with the complexity of the human condition, we no longer believe what truth is anymore. Joining me to discuss truth is Wake Forest University professor Christian Miller. Professor Miller is the author of numerous articles and is the author of the forthcoming book, Honesty, The Philosophy and Psychology of Virtue. Professor Christian Miller, welcome to the public morality. So, thank you so much for having me back again. I can't wait for our conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, uh, cautious when I'm, when, when I'm asking uh, philosophy professors what is truth, but I'm but I'm gonna we're gonna delve into it right now. So, when when the question is posed, you know, what is truth? My take. You know, I see the question the same way when someone accuses another person of being a racist. You know, there's always a gap. When you say you're a racist, what did you mean when you say it? How are you defining racism? What did you hear when you hear it? And I sort of see what is truth in the same way. What do I mean when I ask the question? What did you hear uh, when you heard the question? So from from your station as a a philosophy professor, what is truth and how do you hear it? Well, yeah, I see you're giving me an easy one to start us off. Let's, let's just uh, figure out what is truth. Um, that's a, it's a great question and a hard question. Philosophers have been wondering about it for really thousands of years. It's one of the ancient questions, too. I'll give you my take on it. Uh, I think in a real abstract, broad level, truth is just the way the world is. It's reality. It's how things are. Now, more carefully we can say that there are true or false statements that we make. So the things we say or things we write can be true or false. And they're true or false in virtue of corresponding to the way the world really is. So that's, that's pretty abstract. Here is an example. If I say the planet Earth is flat, that statement is false, it's not true, because it doesn't correspond to the facts, the way that reality actually is. If I say planet Earth is round, uh, well, that is a true statement because it corresponds to reality, the way things actually are. One um, further thought here is that I like to divide, um, when I'm thinking about truth, I like to divide truth up into more uh, empirical truth, or factual truth, as well as more um, normative truth or maybe moral truth. Since this is a show on morality, um, I think we should you know, mention that as well. So on the one hand, there are truths about just what's going on in the world, um, what's happening. Uh, you know, did, uh, was George Washington the first president of the United States or not? Uh, that's an em- empirical question that has an empirical answer 
And it, it, as a matter of fact, he was. That's the truth. There are also um, questions about truth when it comes to not how things actually are, but how things should be. Uh, so um, is, uh, should I act this way or not? True or false? Would this be a good thing for me to do? True or false? And that gets us into the realm of moral truth and whether moral truth is all a matter of opinion or subjective or whether it's more objective, uh, uh, not created by human beings. And that's a conversation which we may want to get into a little later. But I just want to note that truth comes in a different, some different varieties depending on what topic we're talking about. And I like to distinguish between more empirical or uh, factual truth versus more normative or moral truth. Hmm. Well, you, you know, especially on the latter, you know, in the world of social sciences and, and, and humanities, which you're well familiar, is it possible that, that one can possess a truth that is valid and be opposed to an equally valid contrarian perspective, but at the same time both sort of fall short of the truth. Is that is that possible, or am I being too abstract? Uh, no, no. Uh, let's let's work through it together. Uh, it depends. The key word there is contrarian. Uh, if you have two positions that are just logically contradictory of each other, then you can't have them both be true, even partially true. So let's, let's take an example again using the Earth example. So if one position says the Earth is flat and the other position says the Earth is round, well, those are contrasting, contrarian positions, but one's got to be mistaken. They both can't be true. Now, let's, that's, that's the real te technical answer, the strict answer. But I think we could be a little bit more, uh, loosen things up a little bit in the, in the following way. You could have different positions in the humanities or the social sciences, and you could say those positions are um, kind of uh, competing with each other, and maybe one position gets part of the truth right, and maybe the other position gets another part of the truth right. So let me try to make that a little bit more concrete. Um, in my, one of the things I study is character, and uh, psychologists, that's one of the areas in, in the social sciences is psychology. Um, psychologists for a while had a debate about whether um, character even existed. And one camp would say, well, um, uh, your character is really, really important to your behavior and situation and environment doesn't matter. Another position would say, no, 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 no. Character doesn't matter at all. It's all about your situation and environment. That's what dictates your behavior. These are, you know, these are a little bit over, overly crude and simplified character terms, but just to make the points. Um, and I want to say, okay, well, strictly speaking, those both can't be true. But we can pull out, we can extract some truths from each. We can say, on the one hand, the environment does matter a lot. What situation we're in, how we were raised, what influences there are in us matter. But also, at the same time, our personality and our character matters. Who we are, what we bring to the situation makes a difference too. Whether we're an honest person, whether we're a dishonest person, whether we're a compassionate person, whether we're a cruel person, that matters as well. So one view gets part of the truth right, environment matters. Another view gets another part of the truth right, uh, personality and character matter. And 
what the whole truth is, well, I, I think it's going to involve both of those. Um, you can't pick or choose. It's going to involve both environments and personality and character as far as understanding how human beings are put together and how we behave. <laughs> so in that sense, I think your question uh, has the answer of, yes, you can get partial truths from competing views in the humanities and social sciences. Um. I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I, th I think I think it was Nietzsche who 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 who, redu who said the truth, and I'm paraphrasing it, was the residue when we remove our subjectivity. It, it, is, is that true? Is, it, is there some truth? To, is there some truth to that? <laughs> um, right, right, very good. Uh, I can't say about Nietzsche. I'm not a Nietzsche scholar, but let's just take the the idea that um, truth is what remains when we take our subjectivity out. Now, there's a lot packed into that. Um, so let me take it in a couple stages. Uh, some people think that truth is just a matter of the subjective. It's just a matter of your opinion. This is like a, what's called a relativist perspective. And so what's true or false is just what you subjectively think is true or false. So if, you know, if I think slavery is wrong and someone else thinks slavery is okay, well, uh, my my claim about slavery is true for me and the other person's claim about slavery is true for them. Now, if that's the correct position, then truth is all about subjectivity. There's nothing left beyond subjectivity. But uh, I personally, this is my view now, I can't endorse that position. I, I cannot accept relativism. For most topics, I think it's a mistaken position. When I think about, for example, science, I think that there's objective truth. So I think uh, regardless of what we happen to think, there are correct answers, and we may not understand what those correct answers are, but they exist. So our same example again, even though for a long time people thought the Earth was flat, they were mistaken. Their subjective opinion did not correspond to the facts. As a matter of fact, the Earth is round, and even if no one ever discovered that, the Earth would still be round. So I think they're objective truth. So uh, in that sense, I think truth does uh, outstrip or uh, go beyond mere subjectivity. But um, let me nuance that a little, little bit more. I think that's true for science. I think that's true for some other areas like uh, religion. I think there are objective truths about uh, religion, whether God exists or God doesn't exist, whatever way you come down on that. Uh, I think there are objective truths about just the empirical world we live in, whether, um, you know, there's a tree outside my window or not. I think there are objective truths about morality. I think that slavery example shows that uh, objectively slavery is wrong, even if people thought otherwise. But um, there are a couple areas where I'm more inclined to be relativistic or think that it's all subjectivity. And those would be areas like um, customs and, you know, conventions. So, for example, uh, whether we should drive on the left-hand side or on the right-hand side of the road. That's just a matter of subjective opinion, right? That's just what whatever human beings decide on that question, there's no further right answer about that. Or whether to um, bow or shake hands or whether to use chopsticks or forks and knives. Those are just subjectively created conventions that we have implemented, and they're 
all a matter of personal opinion or cultural opinion. And so there, I think, actually, truth does not go beyond the subjective. But um, those are the exceptions. I think the most cases, uh, truth is objective rather than subjective. Hmm. What, what would be, then, the opposite of truth? Yeah, so I think it depends on what we're, we're talking about here. Um, I think the most straightforward answer would be, uh, let's go back to, to the example of, of the Earth. Um, the Earth is round, true. The Earth is flat, false. So falsity uh, is the opposite of true. So a statement is either true or false. And that's, that's the kind of the simple-minded, straightforward answer. Um, but I think we could also think of some other answers here. Um, you could think about, well, there's the truth and there's telling the truth. And so what's the opposite of telling the truth? Well, that, um, t- the opposite of telling the truth could be lying. So there's another opposite. That's another direction we could go in. Uh, lying is the opposite to truth. Um, you could think of, well, what about someone who doesn't even care about the truth at all, um, and they just spout things that they uh, fabricate for some personal agenda they have, or just on a whim or for fun, they're, they're very much opposed to the truth, too, not in a sense that they're working against it, they just don't care about the truth. And there's a name for those kind of people, too, which I, I think I'm allowed to say, but uh, you can tell me if I get in trouble, but those are, those are what we call bullshitters. Um, that, that's, uh, that's another way of being opposed to the truth. So those are three answers. Falsity, lying, and being a bullshitter. Uh you 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 touched you touched on it a, a moment ago, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna raise it now. Um, so in, in this pursuit of what is truth, uh, where does nuance and, and circumspection play? Yeah, um, I think it's, it it should play a really important role. I mean, sometimes it's it gets uh, we we know we think it's cut and dry. This is either true or false, and that's just the end of the discussion. Well. Uh, let me give you two things that come to mind where nuance uh, is important, I think. One is uh, our communication with other people. Uh, we could, uh, if we wanted to, say lots of truths to people and have it, have it come across in a very problematic way. So to take an example, if I'm uh, you know, uh, going to work one day and I'm riding the elevator and here's someone who works in the same office who I don't know very well, and this person says, you know, how's your day been going so far? And I respond by listing off all these truths. I talk about what I ate for breakfast, and I talk about the, you know, the, the ride into work, and I talk about how many times I've gone to the bathroom, and all this stuff. Well, you know, I'm saying lots of true things. You can't fault me for that. But that's just, I'm failing at being tactful. I'm failing at being discreet. I'm failing at picking up on the conventions and the norms of the situation and not regulating my communication of the truth in a way that's appropriate to the person I'm discussing or having this conversation with. So there's one thing to say true things. There's another thing to say it in a nuanced or tactful or sensitive way. Now, that's one thing that comes to mind. Uh, Another thing that comes to mind here is whether... Uh, nuance should be 
something we pay attention to when it comes to maybe not telling the truth. Uh, when uh, we should think about, is this a situation where I should lie or at least refrain from telling the truth because of the complexity of the situation and the various considerations that are at work? So um, one example here is white lies. Um, when you know someone asks you, "Has this dress look?" or "How is that dessert?" Um, you could just come out with a blunt, you know, truthful answer. I, I think you look terrible in that dress, or that dessert tasted awful, and you'd be telling the truth, at least as, you know from what from your experience, from your perspective. But that may not be the best thing, all things considered, to do. Um, maybe a more nuanced answer, either one that. Uh, tries to put it in the most delicate way possible, or one that, um, and maybe we'll talk about this later, uh, uh, you know, hedges or fiddles with the truth or even lies. I'm not saying that's right, um, but at least something that we often do is we tell a white lie in those situations um, to give a, because of the nuances of the situation. Um, so those are two uh, things that come to mind right away for a nuance. One is not being overly um, transparent and not being overly blunt uh, when it comes, maybe uh, not be, uh, being respectful of the conversation partner and not being uh, overly sharing. And the other is uh, is the white lie case. And maybe they're actually very similar to each other. Maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's the same topic uh, now that I think about it. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Wake Forest philosophy professor Christian Miller. On the topic, what is truth, uh, Miller is also director of the Honesty Project. And uh, Professor Miller, I, I, I'd like to have you say a couple words about, about the Honesty Project. It's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on. Uh, talk about it, if you would. Yes, thank you so much. So this is a product we launched about two months ago, so then in August, at Wake Forest University. For many years, we've been working on the broader topic of character, thanks to a series of projects that have been funded by the John Templeton Foundation. And just recently, we wrapped up some of those older projects, and we wanted to do something new. And we were looking around for what would be you know, really interesting and important to dive into. And we, and we realized that, well, honesty is something that everyone cares about, I think it's fair to say, most people care about. Uh, there's very little controversy about whether it's important there's very little controversy about whether it's a virtue and a good thing to have. There's very little controversy about the fact that there's not enough of it in our society. There's a real lack of it, a shortage of it. And yet, at the same time, all those things are true. There's little work being done amongst scholars and academics and researchers on honesty. In my field of philosophy, for example, uh, I cannot find five things that have been written on the virtue of honesty in the last 50 years. Uh, it's just a striking omission. So what we we proposed and then we got it funded was to do a three-year project called the Honesty Project, in which we will probe the virtue of honesty from the perspectives of philosophy and also the science of honesty, so an empirical perspective. We'll be doing research at Wake Forest. Or by we, I mean myself and a team of psychologists that are, are part of this project. So we'll be doing a bunch of research at Wake Forest. But we'll also be hosting two funding competitions 
which have already begun. And that means that scholars from all over the world who have new ideas on the topic of honesty can apply to us to get their projects funded. Now, not all of them will be funded, but the uh, best ones will help to pick out the best projects. And uh, one year of funding for philosophers and two years of funding for empirical researchers to do new innovative studies that will push our understanding of honesty forward with the ultimate goal, this is down the road, but ultimately of trying to become more honest, just f figure out ways to cultivate and grow uh, in this capacity, which is unfortunately sorely lacking uh, in, in, you know, in, our, in, in the world today. Uh, well, that raises another question for me um, with my cynical the 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 theology background. Um, in, our, in our current political discourse, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you to be parsing here, but in our current political discourse, do we want truth or would we rather have our pre-existing notions affirmed in your, from your perspective? Yeah, um, I, I tend to be a little bit cynical too um, uh, from a theological perspective as well. Um, so I, I would say it's, it may be a combination of both. Um, so it's, you know, we have our pre-existing commitments uh, and we want them to be affirmed, but it's not because we don't think they're true. We think they're true. Right? It's not like oh, people on one side they, they, they're, they're like, oh, these are false, or I don't think they're true or false. No, they, they think they're, they're true, and they also want them to be affirmed. And then the people on the other side will say the same thing. They'll think they're true, but they also want them to be affirmed. Um, one uh, piece of evidence, I mean, why we still really care a lot about the, the truth, I think, in political discourse, uh, has to do with, with the virus. So uh, no matter what side you're on, I think it's fair to say we want to discover the truth about the virus, COVID-19, and we want to come up with a vaccine that actually works in addressing the virus. Not that just advances some political agenda, but that, as a matter of fact, is the correct or the true um, uh, cure, or the, I mean, not cure is the right word, but at least treatment for the virus. Um, so truth, I don't think, disappears. Uh, it's just uh, been um, uh, uh, mixed up with a lot of other considerations, like power, uh, like winning, uh, like uh, preserving the status quo, um, like uh, resistance to change. So for me, what I would love to see here, um, well, lots of things I guess I would love to see, but one thing I would love to see more of is uh, a sense of humility and open-mindedness. Both things, right? Um, humility in the sense that, okay, I think my views are true, but I'm humble enough to know that I might be wrong. Uh, I probably don't have all the answers. And so then open-mindedness to uh, be willing to listen to other opinions and other sides to see if they could help me come closer to the truth. Um, so instead of staying in a silo and not listening to or taking seriously the other side or demonizing the other side or vilifying the other side, uh, I'm willing to acknowledge, look, uh, pride, you know, it would be prideful of me to think I've got it all figured out. 
better to acknowledge that I may be making some mistakes. Let me listen to the arguments. If the arguments aren't any good, okay, I'll continue to hold my position. But sometimes the arguments from the other side can be very helpful in pointing out blind spots that I have and help me get closer to the truth. So uh, it all comes back to virtue and character for me and uh, uh, humility and open-mindedness would be um, would be great virtues to see more of. So, so could we could could one posit that it is the lack of humility, and I'm thinking specifically of our political discourse. It is the lack of humility that allows us to stay hardwired on the truth, even when there might be uh, countering facts that could that would otherwise cause me to rethink my position. Yeah. Um, so, lack of humility, lack of open-mindedness, lack of intellectual honesty. Um, so intellectual honesty, you, you know, you're, you're you're willing to seek after the truth wherever it takes you, even if it takes you into uncomfortable places. Um, so all those things would uh, lead one to continue to kind of dogmatically hold one's position, even in the face of impressive amounts of counter evidence. Right? It's it's okay, uh, I think, to hold one's position pretty firmly on some issues. When there's no no real counter evidence, so you know, for example, to take an easy example, you know, I think slavery is wrong. Uh, I'm going to be pretty firm in thinking that, uh, but I just have not seen any good counter evidence to suggest otherwise. But if it's a different situation where I, you know, I hold such and such view about the death penalty, whatever that might be, and yet there's lots of counter evidence staring me in the face, and what do I, how do I react to that counter evidence? I push it aside or pretend it doesn't exist or don't want to confront it, those are signs of a, of a vice, um, an intellectual vice in this case, a lack of open-mindedness, a lack of intellectual honesty, a lack of humility. I mean, that sort of raises the question for me that um, if we're not intellectually honest, are we not uh, in a subliminal way saying I do not want complete honesty uh, from my political candidate of choice, especially if it counters what I already think. Well, I think that's th some of that's going to be true, not just in the political realm, but in, in all of life, right? Um, there's the truth, and then there's what we want. And those don't line up all the time. So, uh, and unfortunately, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we, um, you know, we often in life in general, I think, uh, have some evidence for what the truth is, but we also want something to ha turn out a certain way, and those might not go hand in hand. So to take a, a different and not political example, you know, we might have plenty of evidence that our significant other is cheating on us, um, but we just don't want to face that evidence because we don't want to confront the truth. Um, so there's, uh, you know, throughout ethics, the history of ethics, there's always this conflict between the true and the right on the one hand, versus self-interest and what we want on the other hand. And, you know, what what, uh, what, what gets the upper hand varies from person to person, um, but, uh, you know, my, my view is that uh, self-interest needs to be tempered and restrained and give way to what's the true and the right and the good and the beautiful, uh, because those are more important. What is the relationship between truth, goodness, and virtue? You've mentioned all three of those. Um, is there, what's the relationship between the three? 
Yeah, that's a huge question you're asking me. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're known for throwing <laughs> softball questions. That's that's why we had you on to give you the softball questions. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> um, so these each each question here is a book for sure. Um, so please understand, everyone who's listening, that uh, we know we're just kind of scratching the surface on this one. Um, so between virtue, goodness, and truth. So I think there are different ways to, to spell out that relationship. Um, here's just one way. So a good person, so let's start with that. The notion of goodness, um, a good person is someone who has the virtues. So a good person, what makes a person a good person is having a character that is made up of good character traits. What are those? The virtues. Things like honesty, compassion, uh, you know, justice, temperance, fortitude, and the like. So there's one way to make a connection between goodness and virtue. And the, the truth comes into this in a, in a, in a number of ways. Um, one thing is that the truth itself is good, so it's good to have the truth. Uh, a virtuous person is someone who's aligned with the truth, who is sensitive to what's true, who acts in response to the true and, uh, and acts against the false, against falsity. So you, then you can think of it this way. good person is a virtuous person. And a virtuous person lives a truthful life, a life that corresponds to the way one should live one's life uh, and is sensitive to what actually matters, what really matters, and not to what does not matter, what falsity and the opposite of truth. So at least that's, that's one way to get you an answer. Okay. Um and I'll spell this out if you want me to, but but I'm wondering from you, given what we've, we've talked about today, I wonder when you when you just look at our public discourse and how we talk to each other in the public discourse, are you concerned that we might be in a post-truth world? And, well, and what, how I'm defining that is that my reality is all that matters, and it, and it doesn't matter uh, any corresponding or contrarian facts. Yeah, um, so I think, you know, I, I, to some extent I've already um, kind of shown my cards a little bit on this one. Uh, uh, but let me see if I can expand a little bit more. I think, um, you know, so there's the empirical question and there's the normative question. So empirically, are we in a post-truth world? And there's the normative question, should we be in a post-truth world? I think the should is easy, an easy question. The answer is no there. We should not be in a post-truth world. The empirical question, so just as a matter of fact, are we in a post-truth world? Uh, I would be uh, hesitant on that one. First, it, the, the we is really important. So I think, you know, let's look around the world, look at different societies. I think we find plenty of societies where that's not the case. Um, sticking closer to home with the U.S., well, that might be might be one where maybe we, we are in a closer to a post-truth world. Um but it, so what does that mean? So we don't care as much about the truth as we do just uh, our side and our side winning, and our side coming out ahead. Um, so is that, that's, that's how you're thinking of it too? Yeah, just based on our, you know, my reality is my reality equals my truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, actually, my reality equals the truth. I'd probably me put it more bluntly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, 
I, 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 maybe it's just, I don't want to, I don't want to agree with you, you know, <laughs> um, uh, because I, I don't want that to be the case. Um, but is it the case? <sighs> yeah, I, 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 I can see to some degree that it looks like that's, that's the case in the public realm. Um, you know, is it the case across the board? No, I don't think so at all. So, you know, take in, in, in the realm of science today, scientific investigation is very much a matter of truth and objectivity and facts and trying to discover what's really the case. Um, but if we're talking about political discourse, you're asking me for, for an answer and I'm going to have to say to some extent, sadly it is. Yes. And, and then and just following up on that, are, are we also, and how much does competing realities influence our truth? So what do you, now I'm gonna put that back to you. What do you mean by competing realities? Well, okay, okay. Um, since 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 you gave um, uh, a simplified analogy, let me get, let me come back at you to simplified reality. Uh, let's say uh, in a major intersection in anywhere USA, there's a a really nasty car accident. And on one corner, there's a police officer. In one corner, there's a priest. In another corner, there's a doctor. In another corner, there's a lawyer. And you all ask them what happened. Uh, in that stark linear world, they, will give, they should be able to give the same answer. Chances are they won't give the same answer because their reality, their social location will influence their truth. Would that, would that not be accurate? Um, it would, it, I, I understand that. Uh, that's a great example. Um, I would put it a little bit differently. I would say it, it would influence how they interpret the truth. Uh, so I think there was uh, an objective fact of the matter about what happened. Uh, now, each person is going to come to the situation, you're right, with a certain lens or a certain interpretive framework that they bring to the situation. That's going to color how they see the situation. And so because of that, you might get five different reports highlighting different features or even in some cases contradicting each other. Um, but from that, I'm not tempted to in conclude, therefore, it's all a matter of subjective opinion. Some people conclude that, uh, that, okay, these are just five different outlooks and none of them is any better or worse than the other and there's no further objective truth to be found. Uh, that's one way to go. That's, that's the relativist move, right? Um, it's, it, be, it becomes all perspectival. It becomes all subjective. It becomes all relative. Uh, I'm more inclined to say, to acknowledge that there are uh, biases and frameworks and lenses that we bring to the situation, but still hold out for the notion of better or worse. Um, that this person had a better understanding of what happened than this other person. And so that person's word counts for more. Uh, or that person's interpretation got closer to the truth than this other person's interpretation. Uh, I, do, I certainly would not want to say anything goes here. So that's, that's my uh, it's certainly more traditional uh, philosophical approach to this, these issues. Uh, it probably gets me a lot of hot water with some people, but that's how I think about it. Uh, I'm going st to stay with our cynical theme here for just a moment. Uh, is there anything to the quote often attributed to uh, Nazi propaganda leader Joseph Goebbels 
when he said, if you tell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth. Is there anything to that in, in, uh, in reality? Yeah, um, so I think that's a really intriguing quote. Um, I think there's, I would just reword it, and then I think it's, it's quite accurate. Um, if you tell a lie long enough, and enough people hear it and don't know anything different, then it becomes believed truth. Um, so that people come to believe it as the truth. Um, so, uh, but that's different than it becoming the actual truth. So this again is my objectivity coming out. You know, if you had a more relativist position, you would not make this distinction. You would just say, okay, a lie after long enough becomes the believed truth, and that is all there is to truth. It's just the believed truth. But I think, um, no, that's not, that can't be quite right. Uh, you tell a lie long enough, enough people believe it, it becomes the believed truth, the widely accepted truth. But that doesn't change what is, in fact, the truth. Uh, the, what is, in fact, the truth is still there. It's still objective. It is, in fact, the truth. It's, it's reality. And you can't change that. Uh, it's, it's kind of fixed or permanent on, outside of our control. So if you really want to uh, go back with the simple-minded examples again, you can you know, try to indoctrinate people into thinking that the Earth is flat. And you might, and, you know, today there is actually a flat Earth society which believes that. Uh, and so you can, maybe you're, you're successful at pulling that off. Uh, Nevertheless, when you are successful, you're successful at getting a lot of people to believe that to be the truth. It doesn't change the truth. Or another uh, more robust example, um, you know, suppose World War II had gone a different way and the Nazis had won, then a lie about the Jews, that they're subhuman or not human beings or animals or whatever, that lie could have become the believed truth but it still never would have been the actual truth. Actually, Jews are of equal dignity and worth to every other, everyone else. Uh, they have full moral status, and that doesn't change no matter what would have happened if that alternative course of history had gone, had, had manifested itself. Professor Christian Miller, Wake Forest University, director of the Honesty Project. I want to thank you for engaging me in, in, this, in this very, dare I say, truthful conversation. <laughs> thank you for, uh, for wanting to spend time uh, talking about the truth and searching after the truth together. Huh. There's a few more important things in life than that, I think. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's byron, B-E-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. Once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WJAB in Huntsville, Alabama for allowing us to broadcast the Public Morality at their studios. The Public Morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. In the words of Martin Luther King, we may have come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. For all of us on the Public Morality, I'm... Byron Williams.